You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Morning. Good morning. Hey. All right. Um, welcome to uh, the first day of the rest of your life. Uh, we are going to be uh, today. I'm a, I'm a little um, a little weirded out, a little shaky for a couple of reasons. One is uh, we have a a text here that I want to get very right, and I want to be very uh, mindful of of how to preach it and how to how to encourage you, equip you, train you, um, but also kick you square in the pants. And so I'm going to try to do that today. Um, but additionally, my wife and my daughter aren't here, so everything gets wonky when you don't have uh, Laura, who's my handler. That's how I, I phrase that. When you don't have my handler here. So um, so we'll see how today goes. We'll give it a shot. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, Christians can be weird. We'll just introduce it that way. Christians can be weird. Uh, anybody agree with that statement? Yeah, okay. Anybody agree with the statement that you can be weird? Yeah, you can get weird sometimes, right? Um, Christians, particularly in the West, have a, a very um, interesting thing that happens. We, we tend to get very angry at each other over the uh, most minute and very minuscule things. We make big things, small things, into big things. Like, for instance, has anybody noticed how crooked this is? Yes. <laughs> Somebody from way in the back. OCD, I can't stand it. They can't even, they don't love Jesus. They can't even keep a straight line over on the left there, right? Um, so I built that. Uh, anyways, but um, but I do that specifically just to mess with the OCD people. No, I'm just kidding. I flip-flopped the board and it turned out weird. But you actually will be surprised that sometimes some of the, uh, some of the, the reasons why people are bothered about um, are bothered about churches and why they won't be a part of it. Some of it even boils down to decor. I've told this joke a few times. Yep, I never I never start with a joke. Oh, sorry, this is my Wisconsin accent coming out. Yeah. All right, um, I never start with a joke. I've told it before. I'm going to tell it again uh, because it's a great joke. Uh, so uh, one day. Uh, and actually, just so you know, this joke uh, won the in 2005 won the funniest religious joke of history award. <laughs> I didn't even know that was an award. Just so you know, 2005 was a simpler time. All right. Uh, so uh, once once uh, there was a guy on a bridge about to jump off the bridge, and uh, another guy happened upon him and said, "Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't do it!" And the man replied, "Well, nobody loves me." And man who was walking up on the bridge and came upon this man said, well, God loves you. God loves you. Do you believe in God? The man sitting on the bridge said, yes, of course I believe in God. Are you a Christian or a Jew? He asked. Well, the man sitting on the bridge said, I'm Christian. He said, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? He said, well, I'm, I'm Protestant. The man said, well, me too. What a, what a coincidence. And he said, uh, what what uh, what what denomination are you part of? He says, "Well, I'm Baptist." Well, me too. I can't believe it. Are you Northern ba- Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? And he said, "Well, I'm I'm Northern Baptist." He says, well, me too. Look how much we have in common. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? <laughs> and the man looked back at him and said. I'm Northern Conservative Baptist. He says, well, me too. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? Or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879? And he said, well, I'm Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. 
And the man said, die, heretic, and pushed him over the edge. <laughs> I was like, well, that went really dark. <laughs> I told you 2005 was a simpler time. You guys didn't believe me, but it's, it was a simpler time. The reason why that joke, of course, is funny, and we shouldn't explain jokes, but I'm full of a room. Of, I'm in a room full of engineers. Um, the, the reason that, which happens from time to time, some of you do this. Where's uh, Daniel Rodian looking at you? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, <laughs> actually, Matt and I talked about forgetting punchlines. Apparently, he does that all the time. Yeah, hi, Matt. Right? Yeah, he forgets punchlines all the time. But the reason that joke is, of course, funny is because right there's actually a little bit of truth in it, isn't there? I mean, it goes to the extreme, which is what makes it maybe funny or dark or whatever, but there is a little bit of truth in it. Christians can get weird. We can, div- we can divide over all kinds of weird things, whether it be crooked string art or, um, or denominational distinctives or which year your documents were drafted up in or whatever. And one of the most divisive topics of all time one of the most divisive practices or doctrinal distinctions of all time is the understanding or the way that you understand and relate with the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Um, today, we are going to get in our series in 1 Corinthians, we're going to get to a place where Paul highlights or begins highlighting the role of the Holy Spirit. And he is going to pick this up throughout the rest of the whole book. And so this is a time where, like I said, I, I feel a little bit of pressure to make sure that this is right. Because if we don't get this right, okay, and it's not about right and wrong and then divide. I mean, if we don't get the beliefs, if we don't get the the understanding of the role and the nature and even the person of the Holy Spirit, if we don't get that correct, what will happen is we will see things, uh, we won't see things eye to eye and we will divide over things and it's the stupidest thing in the world. Why? Because the Spirit is the Spirit of unity. And we will actually divide over our understanding of the Spirit of unity. Crazy. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians today, and of course uh, we're walking through 1 Corinthians, we're calling this series the Beyond Me series, not because we have to give fancy titles to things, but we give fancy titles to things, it's just what we do. Um, But the Beyond Me series, and what we're talking about is what does church look like when it's not about you? And particularly when we understand, when we look at the role of the Holy Spirit, the personal Holy Spirit, this is a time where we have to get rid of this idea that it's about me. This is the time where we have to get rid of that idea that it's about me. Because if we make the Holy Spirit about us, there's some weird things that happen. Now, um, I'm going to jump into this uh, because I've got a lot to cover. I'm going to jump into this um, pretty quickly here. So grab your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Just as a means of uh, introduction, Corinth is a, uh, this is a letter to the church in Corinth. Corinth is a place where Paul is writing to it and it is a, um, it's, it's, been uh, accustomed to, it's been likened to Vegas. That's the type of culture it is. Very affluent, very powerful, very sensually driven or selfishly driven. If you saw, remember a couple weeks ago we walked through how did the church come to be in Corinth, and the church came to be amidst a lot of trial and tribulation struggle, where uh, Paul was preaching the gospel, people were coming to Jesus, and there was anger. Anger because of disagreements on certain things, and the church was dividing already from its very fabric, and so that DNA leaked its way into the church in Corinth. And so Paul finds himself having to battle that back. And one of the things that they're dividing over is this individual understanding or individual focus of the Holy Spirit. This individual focus of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to take a look at this in 1 Corinthians if you're ready to go. Um, So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says this, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence, 
or superior wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I just want to pause there for just a second. We're going to unpack that a little bit, but I want you to see this. I want to read this little, just this last section to you again, this last verse, right? I came to you not with persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And here I just, I want to be able to tell you this, that I think in our culture, we, this is why we divide. Because we're resting often on men's wisdom, on men's teaching and not on God's power, on men's eloquence and their wisdom and the way they unpack certain theological things. Now, as a teacher, this is really hard for me to say because I I am a, a teacher of theology. I love teaching theology to people. And oftentimes we will really struggle with things that we're taught. If we're reading them from the Bible, we go, well, I just don't really like that one or I don't agree with that. And so we'll find a man or or men's wisdom or a structure that agrees with what we agree with. And we'll gravitate to that. And then we'll beat away the people who disagree with us. Verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However... As it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the, de- even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Powerful passage. Now, there's a few things that Paul unpacks here, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through a few things, and then we're going to, I'm going to give you kind of a theological primer on, on what is the role in nature, who is the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Um, so Paul starts off here in verses 1 and 2, and he starts talking about the gospel. This is the first thing he leads off with. He talks about the gospel being, it's not a matter of intellect. You heard that, right? He said, I'm not coming to you just with intellect. I'm not coming to you just with my brain. I'm not coming to you just in a way so that I can organize the facts of this world so that they make sense to you. It's not just that. And I've heard it said recently that you will seldom meet someone too dumb to follow Jesus, but you will often run into people who are too smart to follow Jesus. And this is, I think, what Paul's getting at. Is he's going, you know, this isn't about this isn't about that. Not that intellect's bad. Not that we shouldn't use our intellect in order to understand Jesus, in order to understand the world, and to understand theology. You have been given a mind, and some of you have been given minds that are a little bit wonky, but are awesome and are beautiful. 
And God has given you a mind and He utilizes your mind to bring you to Him. So please, by all means, don't hear that Paul's saying you have to throw your brain out the door. What he's saying is he's not relying solely on the intellect that he has. No, what happens is it is because of the Holy Spirit that the gospel is understandable. Now this should give us great confidence to share. It really should give you confidence to share because if the gospel is not about a matter of intellect, who here thinks has often thought, uh, I don't tell people about Jesus because I don't. If they come up and they ask me questions, I don't know if I'll have the right answers. Anybody think that? I don't know if I'll have the right answers. Okay, see, here's the deal. It's not about that. It's not about that. Did you know that I don't know is one of the best answers you can give anybody? It is one of the best answers if it's paired with, I don't know, but let's find out. Okay, because that proves, that shows that you have a relationship. You don't just have facts. Do I know everything about my wife? If you ask me at any given time, hey, what's Laura thinking? I guarantee you I'm going to say, I have no idea. I don't know. Let's go ask her. And then people are like, no. She's not here. She's not here so I can pick on her. But that's what this is about. The gospel is not a matter of intellect and knowing everything if it's a relationship. But Paul doesn't stop there because he also says it's also not a matter of eloquence or lofty speech or beauty. Okay, In this day and age, um, the people who got up and spoke that were... Um, they, they were uh, that they were based on eloquence was the leading um, the leading factor of truth. If you were eloquent, if you could speak eloquently, if you could get up and you could sound very you know, with great orator skills, it it added to your credibility. And so people were actually thinking that things were true based off of how well it sounded. And Paul's going, no, it's not about that. It's not about that. In fact, he says, I resolved to not preach to people in the most popular styles and ways. He actually made sure that it wasn't easy for them to understand or beautiful for them to listen to. That it wasn't entertaining. This is the preacher's great confidence, right? I'm thinking, I'm like, yes, thank you, Paul, for putting this in here because sometimes I don't make a whole lot of sense. And he says that this is, no, it's not about you responding to the speaker. It's about you responding to the word that's spoken through the power of the Spirit. right? So this should give you boldness to share. If it's not about your intellect, you don't need all the answers. And it's not about how great you sound or how convincing you are. You need the Holy Spirit. That should give you boldness and confidence to share and know that God is going to do something. But then he says one more thing in verses 3-5. through five, He says the gospel is also a matter of the Holy Spirit. It's communicated and sent deep into your soul by the Holy Spirit. And here's something that you need to know, right? Like, And you can see this. How hard is it for you to change someone's mind? Pretty difficult, huh? How hard is it for you to change your own mind? Pretty difficult. It's possible, but it's difficult. How hard is it for you to change your heart? It's harder. And it can be possible, maybe, if you have the Holy Spirit, right? Now, how hard is it for you to change your soul? You see the, you see the declination there, the, the, the difference in differentiation there? As you, you look at this, right, Paul, Paul's going, hey, you can change your mind. Great, wonderful. We've been given the mind of Christ. Can you change your heart? Well, actually, the Gospel says you have a heart of stone that's removed and replaced with a heart of flesh. But who can change your soul? Who can change your spirit? And that's what the gospel does. It, it unwinds intellect. It unwinds wisdom and eloquence. It unwinds this 
deep-seated thing that's going on here. It unwinds everything. The gospel meets people right where they need to be met. Then, he doesn't stop there. And this is where we want to camp out for the rest of the day. In verses 10 through 16, he actually launches into this whole thing about how living life in the Spirit, or living life is actually impossible. Living life in the Gospel is impossible without the Spirit. That Gospel living is impossible without the Holy Spirit. He says, flat out, in verse 10, uh, where did it go? Verse 10, But God revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand that God has freely given us. You see that part right there? Verse 13 or 12? We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. So you can't even understand the gospel without the Holy Spirit. You can't understand how to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. It makes no sense. It is gobbledygook up in your up in your brain, up in your mind, and up in your soul without the Holy Spirit. So today, what I want to do is I want to focus on the Holy Spirit. I want you to I want to weed out some understanding, some bad understanding, maybe of the Holy Spirit. I've said it here before. There are basically uh, three positions when it comes to understanding the Holy Spirit. And I don't know which one you grew up in, but I'll tell you which one I grew up in. And one is that the Holy Spirit is always no. No, no, no. There is no Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't move. The Holy Spirit isn't a thing. The Holy Spirit is, mm, keep your arms crossed. Holy Spirit, no, no, no. That's just too weird and too creepy. Okay, that's one camp. The other camp is the Holy Spirit's always yes. Go ahead and do whatever you want because it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit's always going to bless whatever you're doing. And the third camp is the Holy Spirit sometimes yes and sometimes no. And uh, you're never really going to know or you're always going to know or you need enough faith or whatever, right? Like that third camp is really, really broad. I grew up in the camp of the Holy Spirit's always no. I grew up in a, what's called a cessationist background where people actually said the Holy Spirit stopped moving after the fulfillment of the Scriptures, which I don't believe to be biblical. So I say I'm a recovering cessationist. So here's what the Holy Spirit is biblically. Okay, and I'm going to start all the way back. Some of you will know this. I've taught this a little bit here and there. Uh, each of you has a spirit. Each of you has a spirit. You, a, you are a tripartite human being. You consist of a mind, a body, and a spirit. Okay, you you are a mind, body, and spirit. You are you are three. You are three things. You're all. You're, and you, you can't divorce one from the other. You can't just lop off your arm and be like, oh, I lost my spirit. Okay? It's not the way that that works, but there is something that is the essence, the moving and animating essence of a person that is your spirit. Biblically speaking, that is called the ruach. That's a Hebrew word, ruach. Okay, Where it comes from is, and you can we, we've done this with a bunch of different groups, what I want you to do is I want you to take your hand, everybody show me your hand, hold me your hand, put it in front of your mouth, and I want you to say ruach. Yeah, there you go. You feel that spittle that comes out at the end? (laughs) That literally is what the Hebrew word is connotating. That that is that breath, that spirit, that essence, that animating presence that comes out of you. Very intuitive, right? Because when when you're measuring if somebody's dead, what do you do? Check for a pulse. We do. But what else do you do? Check for a breath, right? You check to see if their spirit is still within them. At least ancient days, that's exactly what they would have done. That ruach, that spirit that's there, that's, that's the thing that's the animating presence that makes you move. Okay? And in days of old, the ruach dwelt in your chest and in your throat, right in this region. 
It was the center of your heart or your emotions and your thoughts. It did not reside in your brain. In fact, ancient people thought the brain was pretty useless. Uh, when they embalmed people, do you know what they did? They stuck a hanger up there, right? And stirred it around and pulled it out. Why? Because it was useless gunk. It didn't matter, right? But all of the other places were embalmed. Why? Because they needed to be preserved so that the spirit could move on. So the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the person's spirit resided here. And in this region, the Nefesh, which is right here, this area, this was like the most vulnerable area. They always protected your Nefesh, this area. Why? Because what's the easiest way to stop someone's spirit from being in their body? Release it by cutting open the Nefesh, right? And so you even see in some of the ancient burials, and, or excuse me, ancient, yeah, ancient burials, as well as in uh, ancient sacrificing systems, how did you kill an animal or how did you kill a human being or whatever? It's thrilled. See, what they were doing was they were releasing that spirit. Okay, so that's the that's the cultural understanding of the spirit. Biblically, though, your ruach, your spirit, is flawed and it's separated from God. It's flawed. It, it, it it's not meant to exist apart from God. In fact, you're on borrowed energy, right? Like your ruach came from God. He gave that to you. He loaned it to you. And your job is to return that ruach to Him in His glory. To return that spirit to Him in His glory through your actions and through your words. But we have used it for ourselves which is what we would commonly call sin. And we've tried to take from God that which has given us life and use it for our own glory and for our own pleasure. That results in this barricade between your spirit and between God's spirit. But God promises that He will send His anointed one to remove your heart of stone, replace it with a heart of flesh, right? Like that's in this region. That's in this region. Remove that heart of stone, replace it with a heart of flesh, And that he will also pour his ruach into people once again. Pour his spirit into people once again. And Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to his followers on a a routine basis. As you read Acts, you see this happen over and over and over again. Sometimes powerfully and miraculously, sometimes simply through a change of character, mind, or temperament. You can't pinpoint it. It's not a... The, the, the transaction that's there, the change that's there, can't be pinpointed or formulate, formulized, formula, whatever. You can't make a formula out of it. Paul, in this passage, though, and the rest of the scripture, goes on to command Christians, believers. Oh, I guess I forgot one other thing. Jesus says he's going to send the Holy Spirit as a deposit. A deposit, a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. Right, so it's the the deposit is right. Like I'm going to put money down so that I can hold my account open because someday I'm going to receive a large sum. This is exactly the terminology that's going on here. Paul's using banking terminology to go. Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit as a deposit because in the future, man, there's going to be no barricade whatsoever between your spirit and God's spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, the ruach, the, that spirit, it can be influenced by God's spirit. But in the New Testament, Paul, Jesus talks about I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to dwell within you so that there is now a deposit and there's continual communication between the Spirit and your Spirit. And our job, Paul commands us, our job is to take our Spirit and now align it, line it up to God's Spirit. So I'm going to walk through what I call a primer on the Holy Spirit. Um, I know that was a little bit of a primer in and of itself. But Paul commands the followers to do three things, followers of Jesus. To live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, and to be filled with the Spirit. Now these are not the same things. And let me explain this to you, okay? To live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, and to be filled in the Spirit. 
And I'm, I'm stealing a lot of this from a lot of different books I've read, but you could go ahead. Actually, I think it's a free download. Doug, was it free for you to download the book? Doug read it yesterday. $2. Well, I got it for free. Good job having an iPhone. Um, okay, so on your uh, on your Kindle device, you can find A.W. Tozer's book, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a fascinating book. You can read it in about 35 minutes. Um, beautiful little book, and uh, and that's there's one of that's one of many, but that one's really really accessible, and uh, you can you can get a load of that one. It's really good. But here's some things that I think are highlighted in Paul's teachings, and I'm going to steal some Tozerisms in order to share it in order to share it with you in a way that you can remember it. First one is this: that knowing knowing the Holy Spirit and knowing about the Holy Spirit are two different things. Okay. Knowing the Holy Spirit and knowing about the Holy Spirit are two different things. Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit is a person. And here's where I think we struggle with the most. Think about your vocabulary. How do you refer to the Holy Spirit? As Him or as it? Okay? Most of us, myself included, oftentimes refer to the Holy Spirit as it. The reason we do that is because we think it is a power, not a person. That is, a, that is a, a, a doctrinal distinction that is just settled over Protestant America, okay? It is not correct. He is correct, okay? Knowing Him and knowing about Him are different. The Holy Spirit is a person. We're supposed to try to remove thoughts of it or, or this, this idea of a power of God and realize that it, He is a person. And in Acts chapter 5, He actually links to the fact that He is God. Like He can be lied to, He can be frustrated, He can be quenched, He can be angered. Like There's a relationship that goes on here. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to inspire and illuminate the Word of God. He speaks, and then Nick said this without, I mean, he, it's actually in my notes. I kid you not, and I didn't give him my notes. He speaks the Word of God. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit sounds like, pay attention to Jesus, read the words of God. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to inspire and illuminate God's Word. He highlights Jesus, he reflects Jesus, he looks like Jesus would look as he animates us. That is why we see the fruit of the Spirit looking like Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit's role is to animate us, right? Like that animating presence, to animate us, to look and to act and to move more like Jesus. But the Holy Spirit also, pray, his, his language is prayer. So when you match the two up, praying and the Word of God, that is, that's literally a Holy Spirit act. Okay, We don't do that naturally. We don't do that naturally. That is a choosing to align your spirit with the Holy Spirit's movement in your life in a powerful way that you can't even maybe see happening behind the scenes. But the Holy Spirit, is His, His language is prayer. When we pray, we actually form a relationship with the Holy Spirit. When I show you Cora's picture, that forms a relationship of trust with the Holy Spirit. When I hear all these prayer requests and we come to Him in prayer, that forms a, a needing relationship, a needful relationship with the Holy Spirit. And you can look at Romans 8 for that. Romans 8 is a beautiful passage about the Holy Spirit that resides within us, groans on our behalf when we don't even know what to pray for. He's interceding already and we can just sit there and go, I don't know what to, I don't know, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's going, I know exactly what you mean. And going to the throne of the Father with it. So knowing Him and knowing about Him are different. That is why Paul commands us to live in the Spirit. It's a life in the Spirit. The second thing that he commands, the Holy Spirit is interested 
in your faith. He's concerned with your faith. Now, I want you to hear me, Americans. The Holy Spirit... uh, Americans, that's you, Tatiana. (laughs) Congratulations. Just so you know, I wanted to say congratulations. You now know more history and geography than any other American in the room. Good job. (coughs) The Holy Spirit is far more interested in your holiness than He is your happiness. I want you to know that. He is far more interested in your holiness than He is your happiness. The two oftentimes run contrary to each other, although they are not mutually exclusive. The the Holy Spirit is concerned with your holiness, not your happiness. And now holiness isn't just moral perfection, although that's part of it. It has to do with, uh, in fact, the times where people had to sacrifice animals to abate their sin or to offer guilt offerings for their sin was when they used something that was dedicated to God in a way that was unworthy of God. Right Now think about this. Whose creation are you? You are God's creation. Jesus even gets confronted by the Pharisees and they say, hey, should I pay taxes to Caesar? And what does he do? He grabs the coin. He goes, whose image is on that coin? He says, well, it's Caesar's. And he goes, give to Caesar what Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Well, what's God's image on? You. Using this. Us, our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit, using this in a way that is dishonoring to God. That is guilt. That is sin. And the Holy Spirit is interested with rooting that out and making you, forcing you, causing you to have faith and obedience in Jesus Christ. Faith and obedience in Jesus Christ. He will always point to Jesus Christ. He will always prompt you to do something that has you rely on the power of Jesus Christ. He will always bless you when you are doing things in the name and in the faith of Jesus Christ. And He will always walk with you. Now that doesn't mean it's going to work out. That just means He's going to be with you and He's going to show you His presence and His power, even if it's internally working out your holiness, right? Like, classic scenario. You're getting ready to uh, walk out of this place and you get approached by somebody who uh, asks you for money. Classic scenario, right? That can happen. Maybe it could happen today. Somebody comes up to you and asks you for money. And and you see deep down inside, right, like the Holy Spirit. You know what? Never mind. I'm going to back up and I'm going to give you a personal example instead of a hypothetical. About eight years ago, eight, nine years ago, I was driving through Wisconsin and, uh, driving through Wisconsin, driving through Green Bay, and I was right by this mall, and there was this guy standing on the corner, and I'm like, and there was this like prompting, I don't have these often, this prompting deep down inside, like, you need to turn around and give that guy ten bucks, you got ten bucks in your wallet, go do it. I'm like, what? That sounds stupid. I'm driving. Man, like, don't bother my schedule, I'm driving. The mall's over there, I'm going home. Stop it. And I just got, I kept driving away and felt guilty. Like, what? Come give this guy 10 bucks. So I turn around, I'm like, fine, whatever. And I go and get out of my car. And, you know, knees are shaking. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to start this conversation? Ugh. And I go up to this guy. I go, oh, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm pretty sure, oh, I'm pretty sure God just told me to give you 10 bucks. Guy slapped the 10 bucks out of my hand, flipped me off, and said, I don't need any of that crap. And he walked away. Right? Now, was that the Holy Spirit's prompting? If you understand that the Holy Spirit is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness, is more concerned with your your faith and obedience in Him than with how it's going to work out, the pragmatism of it all? Absolutely. It didn't work out. And 
made me reluctant to do it ever again. But you know, that's, I think that's the whole point. It's like he's pushing me deeper and further into trusting him. I mean, you can look to the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. You can look to Romans, to Galatians, to Ephesians. These things are all contrary to life in the flesh. They're all contrary to things that you self-rely on. The Holy Spirit's always going to push you towards things. And then finally, the Holy Spirit is to be pursued. If this is a relationship, the Holy Spirit is to be pursued. This is the part where we get a little wonky. This is the part where conservative, Protestant, evangelical Christians get a little wonky, where we're like, eh, this is tough, man. I don't, eh, I don't know. That sounds way too charismatic-y. Trust me, I'm a recovering cessationist. I'm no charismaniac, I, but it's okay. I lo- I'm be like, I have enough flexibility in my understanding of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in different ways with different people, right? But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit is to be pursued. And so here's a few points, and I, this is all from Tozer's book and all from the Bible. How to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's a how-to. I, I hate how-to lists. I hate how-to lists, but I'm going to give you these anyways just to ponder on. From Romans 12, we actually have to present ourselves. Right? Like, come to a moment of decision saying, Holy Spirit, let's do business. Holy Spirit, come on. I don't understand it. I don't get this relationship. I can't see all the way down the I can't see all the way down the road, but let's let's do this. Present your body as a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy, holy and pleasing to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. In that way you'll be transformed and no longer conformed to the pattern of this world by the renewing of your mind. So you can hear and attest the will of the Lord. Number two, ask them to fill you. You know, it's a difference between having a deposit that's been placed in you and having a fullness of a relationship. Having a fullness of a relationship. Luke 11 is actually really, really clear on this. This is the words of Jesus. He says that how much more, if you, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the Father know how to give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the thing where you have to ask Jesus. This is like... You know, relations are, relationships are based on permission and respect and invitation and shared experience. If I start to go down the path of a relationship with my wife where I'm just like, well, you know, I said I'd do that one time and that guaranteed me access to my relationship for the rest of eternity. So whatever, no more dates for you. It's not going to go well. I have to pursue my wife. This is the same thing. You pursue the Holy Spirit in permission, respect, invitation, and shared experience. And then join the Holy Spirit in honoring Jesus. And you can read Romans 8, the ministry of the Spirit. Beautiful passage. But also trust the Holy Spirit's healing power. Right? If he's more, if he's more concerned with your holiness than your happiness... If he's more concerned with your holiness and your happiness, he might take things away that you rely on. He might take things away that you rely on. In self-reliance and in disobedience. And the last thing, stop crowding out his voice with other voices and start listening to him and following what he says. I'll give you a good example. And then we got to close this up, I guess. But I'm going to have a little time and response here. Uh, Nick Wiest, he's not here, so I can pick on him as well. Nick got up to share his beautiful story last week, and then he listened to my sermon. And I hate it when people listen to what I say. And on Wednesday, he sits down, the jerk, and he says, uh, Hey, so, I, uh, uh, you know, you were talking about that insurance lady last week that you ripped to shreds, and have you made amends to her? 
and you were there, and you were there, and I looked at him square in the face and I said, no. And he said, why not? He pushed it further, right? Why not? Because I don't want to? So that night I had to sit down and email this this insurance agent. Uh, Her name's Nikki. And I emailed her this lengthy apology. Here's the funny thing is, you know how hard it was for me to choke those words out on a keyboard? Have you ever tried that? Writing a formal apology without taking blame, or excuse me, taking all the blame without putting blame back. Not saying, well, I'm really sorry, but you don't understand the circumstances I was under. Well, I'm really sorry, however, this was what was causing me to do this. Without giving reasoning or explanation, but just saying, I sinned. I did not represent Jesus well, and I need your forgiveness because I am messed up. Sincerely, Pastor Brian of Common Ground Church. Do you have any idea how like hard that is to type that out and send it off? With feeling? What do you think the Holy Spirit was doing? Of course, I got back this really coarse message. Thank you very much for your kind words. Right? But it's not about that. Listening to Him and following what He says... I'm telling you what, Nick was great on that. He sat down and he said, if you made amends, I don't think, I don't know what he was, if he was following the Holy Spirit's prompting, I'll trust that. But he sure was holding me to task on, uh, on pursuing my own holiness, right? I did not want to, man. I was coming up with all of the reasons why I didn't have to, why I didn't want to, why I didn't need to. And really what it boiled down to is, I'm sitting here reading this passage going, Dang it! I gotta listen to the Holy Spirit. But if I if I know the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit, if I can see that clearly, if I have lived in that, if I have experienced His goodness, if I have asked for His filling, if I have walked in His presence, if I have dedicated my life to Him, how dare I not make amends and go to whatever lengths is possible to bring healing into that relationship? So. I know that was a dry theological sermon, but I'm trying not to come with eloquence. (laughs) Words of intellect. Here we go. All I'm going to ask you is this. How about you? Where are you at? And You can answer that question in your head. Where are you at with the Holy Spirit? Are you struggling like me? Do you struggle like me going, man, that's a little weird. I don't know if... uh." I think Tozer says it this way. One of the primary things about knowing the Holy Spirit is, do you want to have your spirit influenced and controlled by anybody other than yourself? Where are you at on that? I will ask you guys today that if you... And this is where it's going to get... You might get a little tense. But just listen to everything that I said before. If you have never come to the place where you have thrown up your hands and said, Holy Spirit, I need you to take my life over. Maybe maybe you've, you know, Jesus has done His work, He's saved you, okay, I'm not talking about double salvation or an extra thing, or any, I'm not violating any of those doctrinal lines here. The idea is maybe you've never come to a point where you've just humbly and said, humbled yourself and said, Holy Spirit, I don't feel the presence of your life, of your life and my life very often, and I need to hear your voice. Will you please come and fill me? If you've never done that before, today's your chance. Matt's going to come up, play a couple songs. I'm going to turn some of these chairs so that there's a little huddle. Some of the elders are going to come down here. If you want prayer, if you want somebody to pray for you, 
and ask for the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. I'm not talking about weirdness, like you're not going to grow a third arm or anything weird like that. I'm just talking about maybe you feel dry in your spirit. Right? Maybe you feel dry in your Christian walk and you have placed your hope on man's wisdom and not on God's Spirit. And today might be a day to get rid of that and start this beautiful relationship with the Holy Spirit who's concerned about your holiness, primarily concerned about your holiness and wants you to know Jesus in a very deep way. So I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, I'm going to turn these chairs around. Some of my elders are going to come down here and just huddle down here and hang out. And uh, they're going to pray with you. I'll just hang out down here and pray with you if you need prayer. Matt's going to play a couple of songs. And uh, we're going to see how this goes. And whatever. Bring it on. (laughs) Holy Spirit, we come before you. And uh, I simply ask that you would move mightily in our lives. Uh, Lord, how can we do this apart from you? The answer to that question is we can't. We cannot do this Christian thing, this gospel living, this walk with the Spirit. We cannot do this apart from your Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come into our lives. In a powerful way, I pray that you'd come into our lives. If we need healing, I pray that you'd heal us. If if we need holiness, I pray that you'd convict us. If we need encouragement, I pray that you'd encourage us. If we need life in our spirit once again, to be able to hear your word and read the scriptures and have it come alive, I pray that you'd do that in us. Lord, we just come before you and say, have your way. Just have your way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.